evidence and answers. We have seen in recent days many prominent Christians, including singers, authors, pastors, and even apologists, walking away from their faith in Christ. Many began struggling with doubt as they began to examine key parts of their faith. This is a growing movement today of deconstructing your faith. What is this all about? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today, Pat and his guest, Pastor Randy Manley, will discuss the Christian deconstruction movement. Now with part one is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, we've seen in recent days many prominent Christians, including singers, authors, pastors, and even Christian apologists, departing from their faith in Christ. Many struggling with doubt, unanswered prayer, past hurts, or perhaps other personal reasons, and then walking away from Christ. Well, there's a growing movement today of deconstructing your faith. What is this all about? Well, to help us address this issue, is Pastor Randy Manley. Pastor Randy is a partner in ministry here in the state of Hawaii. He is pastor of Molokai Baptist Church on the island of Molokai, where he has served for over 25 years. And that's quite a accomplishment in and of itself. He should receive an honorary doctor for that. The average pastor in Hawaii, I think, lasts a year and a half or two years. So his consuming passion is to communicate God's word in a clear and understandable way so that unbelievers come to meet Jesus, and believers are instructed and equipped to live a joy-filled, heaven-bound life. He holds an undergraduate degree from Liberty University, as well as master's degrees from Tampa Bay Theological Seminary and Southern Evangelical Seminary, and he's working on his doctorate degree from Southern Evangelical. So, Randy, always a favorite. Welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Pat. Great to be with you guys. Well, Randy, you know, in recent times, we've been hearing about prominent Christians walking away from their faith in Christ. Tell us a little bit about what's going on here. Well, Pat, it seems to be that there is, like you said, kind of a trend going. Unfortunately, Christianity isn't exempt from trends, like the world has its trends. And this particular trend has been going on for several years now. And somewhat seems to be gaining momentum. And that's why I, I really appreciate that you are addressing this issue, because I think it's very important for us to understand. It's really not anything new. It just has kind of a new label on it now. And it sounds a little bit more vogue, maybe, if you want to go with that. And it might intrigue people a little bit more to hear something like deconstructing your faith. But it is gaining some traction because there's been some prominent folks in the Christian community that have talked about this whole idea. Some mega church pastors, some Christian singing artists, uh, authors, different folks like that. And so that's, that's kind of what we've been hearing about and seeing here recently. Yes. Do you see a common thread in some of these testimonies that we're reading about? I think I see some common threads, but I haven't read too many, just about maybe a dozen or so. But do you see any kind of common thread in these folks' struggle and kind of story and how they ended up walking away from Christ? 
Yeah, there seems to be. I mean, again, this is my take on it, Pat. I'm sure there's other folks that are much more um, in tune with some of this that could even find some more. But a couple of things that I see is, number one, it seems like a lot of these folks, at least the prominent ones that have been willing to come out and talk about it, have gone through some kind of traumatic or life-altering kind of situation. Someone significant has passed away in their life. They have maybe suddenly had to deal with some personal issue in their own life, and it's caused them to kind of have to go and rethink some issues. There's other folks that seems like the the thread, the common thread that's going through it is that because of their prominent position, they've been kind of put on the hot seat on a lot of very strategic issues. And so it's caused them to try to find a way to make their faith compatible with some of what is going on in the world. And so it's, it's maybe caused them to backpedal a little bit on some of the things that they had originally been standing strong on. So those are a couple of things that I see. I'm sure, like I said, there's, there's others, but those seem to be some of the common threads. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. There are many who have gone through something traumatic and they're questioning now, God didn't answer my prayer and my daughter died or a prominent pastor or Christian speaker, someone they really admired was caught living a double life. Or uh, like you said, you know, they have to address some of these hot issues out there, transgenderism, homosexuality, which is being shoved down in the culture today as normal. And anyone who speaks against this is hateful, racist. And yeah, they're beginning to backpedal. So I think you summarize it really well. So Randy, tell us what does it mean when a Christian says that they are deconstructing their faith. Well, that's, that's where it gets a little tricky, Pat, because it's kind of taken a flavor of its own, depending on the individual and even the organizations that are talking about it. If we just step back and look at just some of the ideas of what the word deconstruct itself means, obviously to construct something is to build something up. To deconstruct something is to tear it down or to pull it apart. And so the idea of many of these folks is that in their deconstructing, they're, if, if you pictured it like a brick wall, they're taking the bricks of the wall off and they're re-examining them, so to speak, to decide, is this something I want to have in my wall or do I want to pull it off of my wall? Unfortunately, in a lot of cases, what's happening is the wall ends up with very little bricks. In fact, it isn't well at all when it's all said and done. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, when they hit this crisis or really begin to doubt or question, they begin to examine the various essential components they feel of their faith in Christ. Is the Bible real? Do I really believe Jesus rose from the dead? Can miracles actually happen? They begin to examine each one of those pieces. And like you said, when they don't find it compatible with what they have come to believe, or they realize, you know, for the first time, I'm actually studying this, and, you know, for the first time they come to understand it, and they don't like it, they tend to just discard that. I think you summarize it pretty well. What motivates them to start analyzing the pieces or parts of their Christian faith? Well, again, Pat, it's kind of, we have to be careful that we don't throw everybody into the same pot and say that 
this is why everybody is putting themselves in this deconstruction category. But like you said, there does seem to be some threads that run through it. And I think, again, one of the common threads is these traumatic kind of things that go through their life or society is pushing certain issues that don't seem to be compatible with what they've been taught or what they have been thinking. And so it's caused them to step back and begin. And you use the word, I think, right on the word just a minute ago, doubt. And it's important to understand that it's never a sin to doubt. Scripture never puts down the idea of questioning. In fact, there's many places that you could argue in Scripture that encourage us to examine ourselves, right? Paul talked about examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. There's a very real idea in Scripture that we should be people that know what we believe. And in order to do that, we do have to do some examining and some questioning. And there may be times that we do doubt certain things. So when we're talking about this idea of deconstructing, we're not necessarily putting down the idea of doubting. But what happens with these folks many times is they allow their doubts, instead of to drive them to answers, it drives them to further embrace the doubt. And so what happens in that process is you start jettisoning some of these things that you're talking about. The, the idea that scripture is our source of truth. The idea that Jesus is the only way to get to God. Some of these very vital issues that we would say are part of the building block, so to speak, of our faith. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. Doubt is often what causes us to go and study further and investigate. And for many of us, it helps us deepen our faith. You know, when I got questions, I got doubts, it causes, it motivates me to study more. And it causes me to wrestle with greater issues and come to a deeper understanding of my faith here. But is deconstruction, what we're seeing now, is, is that helpful? Well, again, it kind of depends. The word is problematic. Just the use of that word deconstruct right? Because again, it it implies a negative. It implies a tearing down. It's okay for us to reevaluate our faith. It's okay for us to allow our doubts, like you said, to drive us to know that that's never a problem. But when we deconstruct, it seems to imply that there's something noble in tearing down our faith. And so I would say, no, if that aspect of it is not helpful. Examining yourself to see if you're in the faith is something that's biblical. So I would say, yes, that's helpful. I would say Paul even talks about testing everything, right? In 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, to test everything, hold on to the good and reject that which is evil. So that's a good thing. That involves examining, which in and of itself implies this idea that I'm taking very measured efforts to look deeply at the issue so that I know what is good and what is evil in that process. So if we're talking about that, Pat, if we're talking about examining and dealing with our doubts, yes, of course, that's biblical, that's Christian, that's good. If we're talking about deconstructing to just, again, find a more palatable set of doctrines, what that's done for a lot of folks is it's actually driven them to this kind of progressive Christianity that wants to embrace and accept everything that the world is embracing and accepting 
and sprinkling a little bit of Jesus or spirituality on it. And that's a huge problem. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point. It's great to, you know, always examine what we believe. Norm Geisler, you know, our common mentor here, you know, had that saying, you know, Socrates said the unexamined life is not worth living. And Norm always said the unexamined faith is not worth believing. So I think, yeah, it's good to really examine what you believe and doubt drives you to study more. But where does it go wrong or where did it go wrong with this whole deconstructionism? I mean, when is someone, and I think you kind of touched on it, I'd like you to expand on it more. I mean, where does it go wrong when someone is deconstructing their faith? How does it go in the wrong direction? I think a lot of times, Pat, what happens is that person, they're put in a situation where they don't have an answer and it makes them uncomfortable. You and I have been there before. We're we're posed with a a question that we just honestly either hadn't thought about or didn't have a very good answer for. And so we step back and go, oh my goodness, you know, what do I do with that? And sometimes I think a lot of these folks have been faced with those kind of things. Again, depending on, it, it could have been brought up because of a situation that's happened to them personally. It could be brought up just because of the culture. And I really believe a lot of it is being driven right now by what's going on in our, our culture, but they don't have an answer for these things. And so it starts subtly. Satan is very subtle, right? He gets us to begin to question things like, wow, the goodness of God. If, if this particular thing happened, then how does that fit with God's goodness? And so they begin to wrestle with that. They maybe come to a decision that, well, God is not necessarily able to deal with these things. And so he's good, but he, but he can't necessarily deal with these things. So he must not be all powerful. Again, what happens is we start reasoning in our own mind things and begin to throw things out that really are important characteristics of God. And before you know it, when you start doing that, you're on a slippery slope downward. And unfortunately, what's happened to a number of these folks is they've actually not just deconstructed their faith, they've walked away from their faith. And it started with just these subtle give-ups, so to speak, of basic characteristics of God that they were stumped on or decided that they couldn't reconcile. And when you start throwing away God's character, it slowly erodes everything and eventually you have nothing. Yeah, I know just a few of these personally, just a few. And what I saw in their struggle, it seemed like they seemed to be in isolation. It didn't seem to have a strong group of believers around them or mature believers rather or a mentor that could really help them sit through and process this struggle that they were having, guide them to a right understanding of the scriptures or solid reasoning to help them think through and guide through this issue. And and a body of believers that stay there and pray and have some kind of prayer covering or shield for this person as he's being attacked by doubts. And I, I believe it's also doubts placed there by the enemy himself. And there didn't seem to be that kind of prayer covering from the body of Christ and that kind of shepherding and mentoring. They kind of seemed a bit isolated. You see some of that? Like I said, there's only a few that I know personally as I watch their journey. Yeah, I think a lot of that's true. And here's the crazy thing about that, Pat, 
is that a lot of people are isolated, so to speak, like you're saying, within the church. There may be a, a several scenarios here that, that I'm thinking through, but, but one particular situation that I know, a person is in church, and this is a lot of Christians nowadays, they attend church, but they're not really involved in church. Fellowship right. isn't really yeah. happening. They're going on a Sunday morning, they're hearing a sermon, and they're out the door. They're not involved in any kind of small group or home fellowship. There's no accountability. They may or may not be in their own personal Bible study. Typically, they're not. So it's kind of like eating once a week. If we had a friend that was you know, losing all kinds of weight and having all kinds of health issues, and we asked them, hey, what is going on? And somewhere in the mix of trying to figure out what was happening, they shared with us that they ate one meal a week. We say, oh my goodness, well, there's your problem. You're not getting proper nutrition. You're, you're trying to live on one meal a week. Well, there's a lot of Christians out there that are spiritually trying to live on one meal a week. They get a 30 to 45 minute sermon on a Sunday morning, and they think somehow that's going to give them all the knowledge they need on Jesus and God and, and all these deep spiritual things. And they have no accountability. They have no mentors like you're talking about. And so when a crisis comes up, they're not really sure where to run. The other scenario is they're in a church that is perpetuating this kind of mentality. They're in a church that is questioning all of these basic, you know, another topic maybe for another time is, is this whole idea of progressive Christianity that we see taking place. And uh, there's a lot of churches out there and pastors that are promoting this kind of thing. And if you're in one of those types of churches, you're going to find yourself in an environment where your questions aren't answered. They're kind of the fire of that question is just kind of stoked more and you're left in your doubt and that's okay. So I think you've got a, a couple of potential scenarios there as well. Yeah. And I think you bring up another great point. You know, there's a lot of churches out there that don't want to address the issues. I teach here at a, the Packham Christian University, and we talk about transgenderism and gay marriage and a lot of these issues that are critical theory, a lot of the issues that are dominating our culture today that our kids are inundated with in school and in the media and in the internet. And I asked my students, how many of your churches preach on this stuff? How many of churches address these issues? And they said, none. You know, I don't get it. This is the first time we've heard about it. It's from you. And I said, well, it's the first time you heard about it from a biblical perspective. You've, you've been hearing about this for years, haven't you? And they said, yeah. And, you know, we're confused. Our people are confused on the whole thing. And this is the first time we're hearing someone address. And a lot of pastors don't want to address the issue. I, I speak in churches all over the world and the country. And if I just mention things like homosexuality, maybe in passing, or Jesus is the only way, or without Christ, people spend eternity in hell. I mean, I get people now, this is common now. It used to be very uncommon, but it's common now. People will say something obnoxious, get up, make a big scene and walk out, you know, in the middle of the sermon, you know, because they've been sitting there for a day and they'll write a letter to the pastor saying, I've been here for years. It's the most mm -hmm. loving church. You know, I'm gay. I'm, I'm living with my partner. And, and, you know, until this guest speaker came with his hateful racist speech, mm -hmm. you know, I've loved it here. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of these pastors, they don't, they don't, they're not supporters of gay marriage or transgenderism or universalism, or, but they'll never address these issues. And, and like you said, you've got people in churches living in sin or embracing false ideas, thinking it's absolutely fine. Well, and Pat, that's why a ministry like Evidence and Answers is so vital, because 
you are saying some of these things that a lot of pastors either have overlooked, which is beyond my, my comprehension, or they have felt just fearful in dealing with, and you're tackling some of these things that are vital for us as believers to know how to, to answer and how to deal with in our, in our culture. Yeah, so Randy, where did this uh, deconstruction movement come from? Well, there's a lot of debate on that, of course. Some people would kind of trace it back to about 10, 11 years ago. There was a mega pastor at that time from, uh, I believe, the Michigan area, Grand Rapids. His name was Rob Bell. And Rob came out with a book called Love Wins. And in that book, he questioned something that you just brought up a minute ago, the idea of hell and the idea of people spending an eternity in hell. And he did it in such a way where he didn't come right out and endorse universal salvation that everybody's going to go to heaven no matter what, but he certainly was knocking on that door. And so a lot of people contribute. He was very prominent and notable 10 years ago. And so that book made quite a splash in both the Christian world and the secular world. Interestingly enough, it wasn't long after that, that Rob Bell left the ministry and has now a speaking itinerary kind of thing where he's making quite a lot of money. But some people would trace the beginnings or the roots of deconstruction back there in our modern day. Ultimately, Pat, it goes all the way back to the garden. Satan was trying to get Adam and Eve to deconstruct their faith. When Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden, what was the thing that he got them with? He asked them the question, has God said? He was bringing into question their faith in their creator. He was bringing into question the word that the creator had given them. And so you could argue that the first deconstruction started to take place right back with the first sin, where Satan began to cause Eve to doubt what God had said. And that's really the roots of deconstruction. Yeah, I was looking for Rob Bell's book because I have it somewhere here on this shelf or maybe outside of the room here. I I did an article on it, but you're right. It was a best-selling book for, I think, four years at Barnes & Nobles, but also in Christian bookstores. And I tell you, during the time he was very prominent, I ran into dozens and dozens of Christians at conferences or churches I would speak at who told me how great this book was and I need to get my theology straight and read the book, you know, and I kept telling him I have, I've written an article on it. And here's where I think he goes astray from biblical teaching, but you're right. That book caused a lot of people to question the whole idea of is Jesus the only way and what is the destiny of the unsaved? And some people think, well, no big deal. I can kind of change that brick or take it out of my theology, but then you realize the essential truths of Christianity kind of hang together. So you kind of remove one brick and the next one starts to fall and the next one kind of starts to fall as well. Well, Randy, where does deconstruction fit with our post-modern and post-truth culture? Well, the culture that, that we're seeing today, Pat, is so truth is not something that you can know right? It used to be that truth was you had your truth. I have my truth. Now 
with our postmodern thinking, we can't even know truth. We just interpret things the best we can. You know, it was Nietzsche that said that there's no such thing as facts, just interpretations. And that's kind of where we're at in this world. We hear it said in various ways. And again, this is all so subtle. We hear it, people refer to your truth or my truth. They refer to, well, that's your reality or my reality. Or they'll say something like, we hear a lot today about narrative. Well, that's your narrative. This is my narrative. Those are just different ways of saying the same thing. We've run out of time. Thanks for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 4830586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share it with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucaran.